Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwashed on RCR with Jaspreet and Don. It's great to have your company and remember to keep that feedback coming in on 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio. It's not often you uh, have guests that um, you know quite well, uh, but you've sort of never thought to have them on until now. And this, I'll, I'll do a bit of an intro in a minute, but um, I first met this gentleman probably 1995. He was a very eloquent speaker at a meeting, and I was pretty meek and mild and probably sat in the back row. Then in 2003, he um, went around New Zealand in a yellow bus, <laughs> and it had F-A-R-T on it. That's right. And, of course, uh, I linked into that pretty well, and um, I thank the gentleman we're about to meet uh, for doing the major, the heavy lifting in that era. He was an ACT MP from 1999 uh, to 2005. He's been an ORC and Otago Regional Council councillor. Uh, he's got some big opinions on property rights. And I'm um, pleased to have today on our show, Jerry Eckhoff from Alexandra, formerly from Mount Benjamin Station in uh, Roxburgh, uh, formerly from Balfour in Northern Southland, and formerly a schoolboy in Dunedin. So, yeah, you've kept it. You've kept it local, anyway, Jerry. Um, but it's a pleasure to have you on our show, and uh, we've got a lot to cover, from meat well, to climate to uh, property rights to yeah. You know, I, I and, and I know you're an avid writer for um, the BreakingViews.co.nz website. Um, so, even covering one of those articles will take an hour. But let's let, let's launch into it. What drives Jerry Eckhoff? Uh, I'm not sure whether it's genetics, Don, what it is. Uh, I know members of my family don't, don't engage in such matters. But um, I guess one thing, uh, just, just to reflect for a moment, uh, I was at a meeting many years ago, and I spoke with an editor uh, of the ODT, of the Otago Daily Times, maybe 30-odd years ago, and I apologized basically for writing a couple of letters to the paper. And he said, no, 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 you must do this. He said, we, we have so few rural people that bother. Uh, you know, they, they, why they feel a bit embarrassed about it or something of that nature. He said, you must keep on writing because we really do need, in the interest of balance, we do need to hear from rural people. And... Uh, and I thought about that. I thought, oh, well, um, if if they publish it, and he did say he can, they can tidy it up uh, <laughs> time to time. And uh, so I thought, well, um, if if other people are going to engage in this, that's fine. I, I'm pretty happy uh, to to set back. But by and large, people don't, especially rural people, don't. Um, and uh, so I continue to do it. And I guess I've had a, a few years of going around the traps and I've learned a bit. I understand which way is up. Um, and uh, I tend to think that uh, gauging by public opinion, uh, and in, in, a, in a funny way, it comes back to me from my wife because she was a nurse for 50 years and they would look at her badge at the hospital uh, or something and they said, oh. um, as one uh, fellow said, 
is Jerry your father? <laughs> and I was mortified at that, of course. But um, she was getting very positive comments from, from patients, both in the hospital and in private practice. Uh, so I thought, well, if you can and people like what you hear, why not keep on doing it? Uh, and um, so I, I don't, uh, I've had no formal training or anything like that as a journalist or as a writing, but I, I write as I see things. Yeah. And uh, if it works, well, that's cool. Well, I've had no formal training either. And um, so that makes two of us, but I think you're quite a lot more eloquent than me. And plus you have, uh, you have um, uh, been in the parliament and you've done um, overseas courses like, uh, oh, you've done, sorry, Kellogg uh, courses and things yeah. like that. So yeah. you have, you, life's all about continual education, isn't it? The life's experiences. Well, without mm. question. Indeed, you, you mentioned the Kellogg course that uh, I was very surprised that they took me on. That was a grouping of about 20-odd uh, rural people, women, men, women. Uh, I was one of the oldest ones, I guess, but that was in about 95. And um, we had a most marvellous tutor, um, Alistair MacArthur, who was a, a, a doctor of uh, calculus of all things. And uh, an Englishman uh, by birth and was um, repatriated, if that's the right word, to New Zealand uh, during the war to get away from the Blitz. Uh, he would be one of the finest people I've ever met. Uh, his knowledge was impeccable, but he just had a manner with him that you thought, well, look, if I could get even a fraction of uh, Alistair rubbing off on me, that would be nice. Uh, but anyway, he, he was a huge influence in my, my life uh, at that time and gave me, I guess, the confidence to stand yeah. up at a meeting or stand up in the parliament and say the things that I have been saying over the years. And often as not, you suffer uh, um, the slings and arrows of, um, of ridicule um, from journalists as well as from fellow uh, or the opposition uh, people in parliament. But um, you, you, if you are passionate and you're sure about your facts and your knowledge on these matters, you've got to stand up and do it. Um, too many things, uh, you know, the woke uh, aspect of life today means you're not allowed to say things that are basically just common sense and things oh. that work. You know, oh, so. yeah, 100%. There's influences in, in all our lives, and um, it's mm. good that you have yours. I, I no doubt have mine, and Jaspreet clearly has uh, hers. And uh, But it's interesting. You've just used the word woke, and we talked earlier about your uh, first uh, experiences with the ODT. And you'd have to wonder today, you've seen off a few editors, I'd say, uh, Jerry, Yes. Um, in your time, and you have to wonder about the editorial editors of our local newspapers and our national sort of newspapers and our media. Um, and that word woke, uh, yeah, I have family in America, and my brother says, we hate that word over here. Well, sorry, it's all around us. We need to use it, and we need to get rid of it uh, out of out of the parlance because it's eating us alive. Would you agree with that? Oh, I think this is one of the most troubling aspects of, of, our, of, of our current um, way of life, if you like. Um, 
I, I trace it back to the money that uh, Jacinda Ardern threw at the media uh, to ensure that only certain things should be heard. We we don't want criticism either of or perhaps um, direct criticism of government or or indeed uh, the, the the policies that government were following, um, especially within Maoridom of uh, we see the three waters, the co-governance uh, aspects of life. Um, you know, I accept, as I always have, that change is inevitable within our uh, lives. But uh, I just love that American expression called, we the people. We the people should be asked about these things. Just as I said at a meeting, uh, ACT meeting yesterday, that... Uh, we the people need to be asked if our country's name is to remain as New Zealand, as I think it should, or whether we are uh, quite happy to allow it to change to this North Island um, interpretation called Aotearoa. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I completely agree, Jerry. It doesn't matter what the name is. Ultimately, everyone, all the five million have had a chance to go vote on it and then well you call it Timbuktu well I'll, I'll agree I'm one person out of those five million but the point is it was never asked it's been slowly snuck in and now it's become very regular parlance at everything and then you spoke about Maridam and I'm going to quote one of uh, a document uh, on Manafenwa mm -hmm. from one of the councils here because over the last couple of weeks Don and I have covered the issue of uh, further you know degradation of private property rights under the name of SASM's sites yeah. and areas of significance to Maori. Mm. So a draft district plan of one of the councils in South Island says, to ask how significant a specific site or area is for Nahitahu is a redundant and meaningless question. All landscapes and elements of natural environment are significant, given that within a Nahitahu worldview, all landscapes hold stories, histories, and whakapapa links to Tiatu Maori deities. And for this reason, to say or to exclude certain pro properties, they said, is, is pointless. We're just going to say pretty much everything in that district has a cultural value until proven otherwise. This is what we've come to in this country. So where, is, where do private property rights come into this? And this whole cultural war that they are beginning, I, I look back and I think, with the sinking sense of deja vu, because I'm I'm an import from India, that what I thought I'd left behind has followed me here. We had politicians there, but unlike ethnicity, it was religion that was used, that was weaponized. I, for me, this all seems oh so familiar again. Well, the, I, I, you know, hearing what you've just said, Jasper, is is uh, more than troubling uh, that. Um, you know, this little country of ours called New Zealand, we had, I think, some of the best, if not the very best race relations we could. The intermarriage, for example, um, nobody worried whether you were married to a Maori or what. It was it was that wonderful speech of um, uh, of um, oh, the, the um, African-American um, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. who said that my four little children should not be judged uh, by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a, And that has come down from probably the 50s, was it, 
uh, and it's just so true. But today, they've tossed Martin Luther King's wonderful comment aside, uh, well, the government has, and said, no, no, the color of your skin, your ethnicity, is more important than the content of your character. Um, look, I, I guess I haven't known that many and or had close friends as as Mar from Maradum. They just weren't around in Roxburgh or in Belfort, I guess. But uh, those that I did know, you didn't even consider the fact that they were of different ethnicities. When they stepped up on the golf course with you and you had a round of golf, they were just great people. You know, wonderful people to talk with and, and uh, share your frustrations or whatever. Uh, but now, because of the um, uh, the government pouring money into the media, basically buying their silence, and that's what it is. There's no other way of describing it. Um, even our ODT, I believe, got 700 and something thousand. The ODT, uh, Target Daily Times got 770 odd thousand from um, this government fund. And the government expects a bit, quite a bit back. And uh, I think they're buying the silence. And it is, if it was only restricted to the media, it wouldn't be that bad. It is percolating right down to schools, universities. You, this, this sort of differentiation, I think, is taught. If I can cite an example of my own ch children, who are, you know, the offspring of both Indian uh, parents. My daughter in a uh, supermarket once ran up to me and said, I need to show you my twin mom. Well, I don't know what twin she had, but I went along and there was this other girl. Uh, white as can be, who was wearing the same identical Elsa princess dress. That's it. Children don't see color until they're taught oh. to see color. And then you had the ministry offering certain schools and kindergartens extra money for specifically picking up resources that were tailored to a particular ethnicity. And I, this is all stuff I've witnessed. And mm. it sends a shudder down my spine what we're doing to our children. But to come back to what you were talking about, where will private property rights go once we start doing this? We already have farmers in certain districts, Timuru, who are uh, facing the consequences of this sort of mapping and uh, are going, being told that, you know, they might not be able to access certain parts of their own property because cultural cultural heritage. Well, I, I guess, um, you know, I've been accused in the past of being a bit single issue uh, on uh, the private property rights things, but it, it's the foundation of our civilization. It's the foundation of our democracy. Um, we, we can't just dismiss the private property rights. It gives us the power, supposedly gives us the power, to hold our house, our, our land against the crown. Used to be against the king who could just waltz in and, and take it if he needed it. But um, that was the basis of, of our property right and, and the start where the uh, average person, you know, it doesn't matter who they are or where they're from, the average person through hard work and, and uh, good choices, uh, all of those sort of things could start to put a few bob together, create a little bit of wealth for themselves and for their family and grow that. Now, what, what is happening today with the, the destruction, and I think that's where we're heading for, is the introduction of either, you can call it co uh, socialism, you can call it communism, I don't care. Uh, uh, communism starts with socialism anyway. 
But um, nowhere in the world has this system worked. So what makes anybody think it's going to work in New Zealand? It can't, and it doesn't. So, um, you know, I just I just despair sometimes that people, uh, the, the why that was a great unwashed, if you like, if I can put it like that, don't tend to understand just how important it is, this creep uh, or this, this taking by stealth, this appropriation, we call it. Well, appropriation is just another word for theft, isn't it? No. So and and it's happening bit by bit, and I I'm stunned to hear uh, Jasper the uh, the commentary on from Jamie McFadden just recently, um, who talked about this uh, these areas of significance to Maori. Um, it is does does a does a, a landscape mean more to a, a person of of Maori ethnicity? than it does to somebody such as me who's got Scottish and Dutch ancestry. Um, you know, my my former home, my former farm in Belfer has a lot of attachment uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I could drive past there, the Waimea stream, lovely little stream down there, there the kids caught their first fish. Of course that's important. But you don't, I, 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 I can, can never envisage a situation where you could just waltz in and say to now the current owner, now look here, fellow, I used to own this land and now it's of cultural significance to me and I want the right to be able to restrict you on what you are doing or think you can do with this land because of my, my historical attachment. It is an appalling basis for which uh, our society can grow and develop. Uh, it just can't work. So uh, that's why I think people like yourselves, Don and Jasper, are doing God's work, frankly, uh, if I can introduce a, 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 that, that comment. Um, it, it's, it's so important that we talk about these things. Absolutely it is. It's like, uh, yeah, I have no desire to go back to the Isle of Skye and say, in that godforsaken place, I want to have some part of it uh, because of my family history in mm. Bernersdale. I just don't want it. I've seen it, seen enough on a picture to say, I don't want to be there. My place near Invercargill suits yeah. me just fine. And I um, I love the vista that I've got and I I protect it with my, um, with my effort. But Gary, this isn't just a recent thing. This expropriation of property through um, uh, regulatory forces and through privilege, actually, uh, misguided privilege through regulation, started when? Uh, yeah, the RMA is bad enough, but the genesis of this was even pre uh, pre the RMA, I think, and it's my view. Um, when I first saw uh, this tension, and, and especially the building up to the Waitangi Tribunal, and uh, then there's a victimhood thing and the fiscal envelope, then the uh, RMA, I may have my timeline wrong. Uh, this, and now in recent years, sorry, I'm going to go fast forward to the last few years, where the word partnership has come into the, the lexicon of the treaty. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all been divisive for as long as I've had an interest in this stuff. And yet there's only a small percentage of the population that actually care. They don't seem to be understanding what's happening right in front of their nose. Now, so can we go right back to your first understanding of this? It was pre the uh, RMA, I gather. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we shifted to Roxburgh in 1984 
Um, and then a, a fellow by the name of Roger Douglas took all my subsidies away. So it changed the, the, the game plan for me. But the worst aspect of that, by shifting to a property that I wanted to develop, uh, was the introduction of the this PNA scheme, Protected Natural Area Scheme, that came out of the uh, Otago University, who had the year of government. And so somebody in Wellington probably thought, well, this is a good idea. You know, identify the best of what remains, as they called it. Um, and uh, I think most of the farming community thought, well, look, that's not a problem because our, our right to own and develop and whatever our properties is not under threat. Uh, little did we know that it became a massive threat. And we, we try, did try to warn uh, as many that would listen in those days. But um, And I think we did hold the line for a while. Uh, but then it just went quiet, and now it's come back with a vengeance. And, and Jamie McFadden and, and others uh, have picked up the cudgels on this one and are uh, doing their damnedest. Uh, we've got an election coming up. You know, farmers should be going along and demanding from these political parties that they respect the property rights of each individual. And uh, I, I just remember a meeting I was at where I asked, I can't recall the name of the Director General of, of Conservation, but I asked him if he agreed with property rights. And he said, uh, well, yes, we do, but it's just that we haven't decided what property rights we're prepared to give you. And I, I, I it's not very often I'm gobsmacked, but that, that was one occasion. And uh, I thought, my God, these guys don't even understand the, 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 the basics of, uh, of how a civilised society works. You cannot just walk in and take just because it's somebody else's. Uh, and, um, you know, they don't, never want to buy it. They worked out very quickly that uh, it, it's better just to restrict you through rules and regulations uh, rather than having to buy it ourselves. And then we'd have to do work. We'd have to fence it. We'd have to pest control, predator control. Uh, we're going to spray the weeds and the pests. No, we'll get the, the local farmer to do that, but we'll, do, we'll make sure that he has to come to us before he's allowed to do anything, uh, even close to this area. Because they wanted to put a buffer zone around it as well. Which made it, I mean, when I think about going back all those years, it was just so incredibly bad. But nothing's changed, Don. Nothing's really changed. Well, and you have to think uh, that the statement, the long march through the institution, uh, institutions has uh, has been in play for a long time, as we know, um, from Gramsci's time and even before that, the intention to educate these people that are in position and that we've let them get into positions of influence. Uh, we've let them because those of us that are actually working um, and trying to generate income and, and better ourselves uh, have been slow, have been paying um, their salaries and we've let it happen uh, year on year. And it's, uh, of course, the swamp is now very deep uh, with with uh, these people that have been educated to move your effort to their pocket. So no, no surprise there. We're we're guilty. We've been really weak. And and as you've just sort of intimated, we've got an election coming up, and I don't see any political party willing to tackle this. It's all too hard. It's too entrenched. The yeah. long march is won. The progressives, as they call them, I call them the regressives, they've got the air of all our politicians. Not one in 120 currently, do I sense, has any handle on this. 
I, I agree and agree entirely. Uh, it, it is. It, it is even so much easier today through this medium that we're discussing. Right, we're looking at each other um, with the Zoom things, but with uh, with uh, YouTube, for example, uh, anybody that would listen, please just YouTube a man by the name of Tom Sowell. Mm. He is an African American. Uh, to to uh, I guess I shouldn't have even mentioned that in some respects. But he talks the truth, he talks data, he talks reality. And he comes up with some of these most wonderful little quotes. And I, I've got one. Uh, he says here that the, sa the saddest signs, one of the saddest signs of our times is that we now demonize those who produce. We subsidize those who refuse to produce. And we canonize those who complain. Uh, ain't that the truth, brothers Gosh. and sisters? <laughs> that is, yeah. I mean, that, that just puts it in a nutshell for me that, um, you know, people who complain that uh, from time to time the river's not quite as good as they should be um, or, um, you know, a farmer's cultivated a block of land that got a bit close to a gully or something, um, they, they constantly complain and they get all the airtime. Not the fact that this person produces milk or, or butter or cheese or uh, lamb, beef, whatever it is, uh, cereal crops, of course. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, too, I think, that I was uh, talking just recently to a chap uh, not, not long back from Australia, and he said the media over there are full of this thing called food security. Um Australia is pretty lucky in terms of the, the grain they produce uh, for a start. But what is happening around the world is is very troubling. And uh, those that care to think about these things are very concerned about food security. So what do we do over here? We're inclined to restrict people's ability uh, wherever possible to produce uh, and, and create some wealth that goes towards our hospitals and our schools and our welfare and... Uh, all the social uh, requirements that um, we all need from time to time, uh, we're just making it more and more difficult. So, you know. So, social requirements are cycleways, of course, and uh, in your area, you know, on the coastal belt, um, you've just spent, uh, as part of your rates, uh, Jerry, and your taxes, they've uh, just spent $50 million, uh, on a cycleway from St Leonard's out to Port Chalmers. And, and the Dunedin City is hospital, you know, the downtown hospital, has it got any piles in the ground yet after, um, what, 10 years of cogitation? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? But um, I, I guess you could have had another department uh, added on to the hospital when they finally do get it built, um, or more hospital beds. Um, there's one thing is sure, that uh, the demand for health services is going to increase. It's not going to decrease. So to build something that is just adequate or barely adequate today is the most short-sighted uh, thing we could possibly do. But the reason for it, of course, is that we'd rather build cycleways and get a vote from our friends in the environment or the cyclist lobby group uh, who, who vote for the mayor or vote for the councillor who says, yes, we'll spend your money, um, not your money, uh, other people's money on, on uh, creating these... Um, 
these little fashionable uh, jaunts that um, should the mood take them, they want to pop out to Port Chalmers on their bike and back again, probably using an EV too. So, uh, you know, I, I just... <laughs> Uh, the, the am I getting too old for the, um, no no no, no you're, sometimes no no look, you, you're saying the same things as, as um well-meaning new zealanders uh want to say but just don't because they're all too busy the people that are really busy can't um yeah. can't do the stuff that you and i and jasper are doing and um jasper's busier than both of us put together i have to say uh probably by a factor of 10 jerry um yes. but 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 she's younger of course uh the thing is, that cycleway is funded by taxpayers and ratepayers. No cyclist is going to pay a dime for it directly. Yeah. They've just talked, yeah. if this current crop get back into Parliament, they're talking about increasing uh, road user charges and tax, uh, fuel taxes. And uh, where will all that go? I mean, let's put it back into roading and infrastructure that actually makes commerce happen uh, rather than... Um, the nice to have stuff uh that's that that you could have if you had a thriving economy but i think you'd agree our economy is far from thriving we spent uh what we've got uh ooh, i don't know 155 billion of um of core crown debt and we've we've splurged our printed money into the economy created inflation and now we're ranked 159 out of uh out of the um countries in this um survey we're we're aligned with equatorial guinea in terms of our economy by the imf i mean that's where we are people it's uh and, and you cannot lord any uh governance that allows that to happen but it's happened in three years well look having spent nine years uh on regional council mm. and six years in wellington um one of the things that stunned me completely was the stupidity of people that are in positions of real authority. They don't know anything. Um, I, I thought, God, how do I get on up here? You know, I don't really know that much by comparison with all these other people, uh, whether it's the regional council or whether it's uh, in parliament. But I was stunned, frankly, at how little they understood about the basics of life. Uh, and in order to just, uh, as you've been saying, uh, they would far rather build a cycleway than build a storage dam that would enable people to create uh, whatever they want to create uh, with with water. Um, you know, the, the, these things are not difficult. They're, they're pretty uh, straightforward concepts that... Um, uh, in order to grow, you need you need to develop, and and it takes a bit of money. So you've got to have that fundamental uh, creation there. But you know, going just thinking about the, the fact that our country is over thirty. Well, look, it must be thirty five percent now of our land mass is controlled by the Department of Conservation. We cannot mine that land now. If we could find. I don't know, lithium or or whatever mineral that could increase the wealth of our country and build more hospitals and better hospitals and more schools and better schools and pay our teachers as they should be. Uh, good teachers paid exceptionally well, like they do in the uh, Scandinavian countries. Uh, but we can't because we are increasingly poor. 
and we're putting all our money and resources into uh, well, people who choose not to work. And um, my, my, I quoted Tom Sowell before, and he has come up with some fascinating data to show that the, the worst thing that has ever happened to a country uh, is the introduction of social welfare. Because, uh, and he quotes, for example, there were more um, white people out of work in the 30s than there were black people. Um, so then the governments decided they were, will just introduce uh, welfare. And uh, frankly, they've um, they've unleashed a, a plague upon civilization uh, where you don't have to work for a living, just show the government that you have a need. And uh, they will say, well, we're very sharing and caring. But the most, surely the, the, the most important thing to do is to encourage people to get a really good education, get themselves a good job, um, and and you know grow your knowledge so that you can be paid a bit more, uh, and that you become a, become a major contributor to our society. Um, but we tend to be going in the opposite direction, and anybody that challenges that, like the taxpayers' union, uh, like Groundswell, um, uh, Don Brash is another. They they vilify, they demonize people like that. And, um, you know, the, the opportunities do exist in New Zealand. And I just mentioned the, the land mass. We, we're not even allowed to investigate to see what is under the soil. I mean, I, I, I can recall a helicopter uh, study that the regional council did, uh, which I thought was a very good thing to determine what our uh, water resources were like. Our subterranean water resources were like our Artesian water. And uh, they carried this helicopter, carried what I call a cruise missile that was picking up all the data underneath the, uh, the soil. Uh, and uh, when they crossed an area not far from where I'm sitting right now, an area known as the Serpentine, the old guys knew that there was more gold there than they could point a stick at. Uh, and apparently, the, the needle on this. Um, and this uh, piece of technology just went off the scale when it flew over the set of quite a large area. Now, it's all dock controlled. They <laughs> cannot touch it. Or we could pay off our national debt if, if, we, if we started mining again in some of these areas. And I'm not necessarily talking about coal, but other minerals that, that uh, like gold and um, some of these very, very valuable, uh, I don't know, we've got any copper, that's an extremely valuable mineral today, too. So there's opportunities for us if we choose to accept the challenge of getting out there and doing it. But, you know, we see people now getting more attention that, that cement their hands to a, a road in the middle of Wellington to stop the traffic. Uh, and they will get more attention from government that somebody pr that, that presents a really good plan for our country. And, you know, we, we talk about that for, for just for a second, the plan for our country. Uh, one of the great things that Dunedin Hospital did, uh, sorry, Dunedin University did 50 years ago, was start up a study on the well-being of children. And they followed <laughs> these children from birth virtually right through to 50-something years of age now. And they've identified... We're the problems of the children that are going to develop the problems. 
And, uh, and I thought, wouldn't that be a wonderful basis to start on uh, um, perhaps a cross-party consensus as to how we should care for our young and develop a, a really good policy around that so we haven't got problems with these ram raiders and kids doing all sorts of things when they get a bit of age on them. Um, and, you know, we, it's very frustrating knowing that we've got all this information here. Indeed, um, the criminology, criminology study is regarded as the finest in the world. It's the most often quoted study uh, of um, how you uh, identify the problems in, in, in later life, all starting from children uh, and their upbringing. And dare I say it, even the old Plunkett system that you and I probably, Don, were brought up under, where the Plunkett nurse came and helped the mother with a bit of advice from time to time. Uh, and um, uh, a lot of mothers, uh, Jasper, your... your um, My children went had had the support be, from Plunkett. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I hesitate to even talk about these things, but um, it, it seems to me that we have answers in this country, and they're just, they're not even sitting below the surface, they're sitting on the surface. We are not picking up these answers to create the, the wealth, um, and it's not going to happen overnight, of course not, but it will happen if we, if we have people with the courage and I think you've used that expression a few times, Don, in, in my company, in my hearing. Um, if people, you've got to have courage to stand up and say, this is what we must do. Mm. And, and yes, you do suffer the, the, uh, the slings and arrows, as I put it, the, um, the opprobrium of, of uh, people who are just happy with the status quo. But um, that is why I think this election coming up what is it in a few short weeks, is possibly the most important election in my lifetime anyway. If if Labour get back in with the Greens uh, and uh, to party Maori, um, I, I per personally would have to, I haven't talked to anybody in the family about this, but I would really think about shifting out of New Zealand to... to um, to part of Australia somewhere, which is not that brilliant either, but it's a damn sight worse and a damn sight more realistic than uh, what we've got in this country at the moment. So uh, there's unintended consequences that are really starting to bite in this country. Can I play the devil's advocate here, Jerry, and say that these consequences are not unintended? At times, you know, I've I've looked at stuff that, and this is this is a very cynical worldview that I I have begun to hold now, but uh, we have consultants, tens of thousands of them more employed. We spend over a billion dollars on you know reports from these big five firms and so on, mm. and I can can't help but conclude that they are not stupid, the policymakers. And I have I say this often. And I say there's a time when one needs to stop looking for a reason in treason because so much is going wrong that one has to conclude that what we see unfolding in front of us was exactly what was planned all along. And, and I know that's, that's a big statement that's really cynical of me, but I, I just have stopped giving people the benefit of doubt anymore. The answers are there to see. There are people speaking, but as you said, we seem to canonize the ones that, you know, complain the most. Don mentioned the long march through the institutions. 
And since we've been talking about the RMA and the conservation estate and dog, there's, there's this name that often comes up, Simon Upton. Now, in t- October 2020, he's, he's currently employed as in the second term as the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment. So Simon mm. Upton completed his first term, term 2017 to 22 and got reappointed. So on 20th of October, he gave the RMLA Salmon Lecture 2020 to the Association of Resource Management Practitioners in Auckland Club. And he began by saying that 30 years ago, in my capacity as a Minister of Environment, I invited Tony Randerson to lead a review of the RMA bill, the Resource Management Act bill, and I went on to oversee its enactment. This lecture comments on the current debate about the future of the Resource Management Act 1991 and following a new review also by Tony Randerson. The same people, 30 years later, Simon Upton, Tony Randerson, of course, broken in between by his short stint at the OECD and as the as the, he chaired the Commission for Sustainable Development uh, under the ages of the United Nations from 1998 to 1999. So these are the same people going along again. How long do we continue just giving these people the benefit of doubt and pretending they're working in the best interests of the country? Well, I was in Parliament, actually, Jasper, when I heard Simon Upton, Mm. his his, his valedictory speech or his resignation speech, apologise for the RMA. He actually apologised for it because he was one of the uh, the movers and shakers at the time. He literally apologised for it, <laughs> but uh, nothing ever happened. But, you know, just to take up on your earlier point, um, I, I see what is happening with this uh, World Economic Forum stuff, this um, Klaus Schwab telling us all that we will own nothing into the future, but we will be happy. <laughs> really, Klaus? Uh, I, I would love to have the opportunity to to get close to you, mate, once or twice, and 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 get a few hard truths ran down your throat. Uh, it's the academics that have no payback, uh, or uh, they're not ch- challenged, or there's no problem if they're wrong, uh, and they are too often. These guys uh, need to be paid according to how often they're right, not how often they're wrong. And the, the, the Klaus Schwabs of this world, the United Nations, and the way we're heading uh, with this World Economic Forum, that seems to have gained some significant momentum. Um, you know, what little say we have in our own country will be lost even even uh, more quickly with these people. So, well, well, Jerry, good good you brought that up because it's one of our topics that we we broach quite often. Um, because we've got 120 MPs who say there's nothing to see here. And of course, uh, uh, you will own nothing. The first part of that phrase is becoming more and more obvious. The the attempt to take property, um, expropriate property, uncompensated, is part of the game. And we've been facing this for, in my, well, my entire adult life, when I analyze it. Um, but there's nothing to see here, according to 120 MPs. In fact, even the Right of Centre Party Act, and I'd say they're now centrist at best, um, is is denying that there's any influence in New Zealand from the WEF 
or from uh, the unelected people that attend United Nations fora and try to, uh, um, well, it's all through our statutes, it's all through our local uh, government um, uh, documents, the, the, the United Nations edicts are all there, but they deny that we've got these influences in New Zealand. Why is that, do you think? I mean, it's quite debilitating uh, to argue this, but yeah, we've got to lance the boil. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it doesn't seem to matter when you turn on the radio or turn on, uh, unless it's your radio, of course, <laughs> you turn on the um, the news or whatever, and we hear people talking about the need for equality, greater equality. Uh, well, um, none of us would disagree that uh, equality of opportunity is essential. Um, doesn't matter what school you go to. And I can remember Roger Douglas talking years ago, and he said, look, if you go and buy a, a bit of Kentucky Fried Chicken from a, from the uh, Remuera um, takeaway place, or one on the, the wrong side of the tracks, the quality is exactly the same. That's the standard. So it doesn't matter where you're from, your, your McDonald's hamburger in the wrong, you know, in a poor socioeconomic area is still a good hamburger. Uh, and so is the one on the right side of the tracks. So equality uh, uh, of um, uh, uh, of opportunity is is so essential, but equality of outcome now seems to be um, what what everybody is saying. Uh, it must it must be uh, you know the wealthier people, the people that made as I said earlier, made all the right decisions and made the right investments and and done some sensible things with their lives and work bloody hard, uh, we're going to penalise them. Hmm. Really? Is that going to help our, our, our quality? Uh, it, we, we will neither end up with equality, nor will we end up with freedom if we introduce anything close to this equality of outcome, which effectively is socialism or communism. Ask the people in Venezuela how it's worked. They can't even, they boil stones to make soup over there. Uh, a week's wages won't buy them breakfast. And this is one of the most rich, oil-rich countries in the world. Mm -hmm. um, ask the people in Russia, under that awful Putin individual, uh, they still got outside loos, you know, uh, which we would think would be ridiculous because the Russians have put uh, people into space and, and done some... Uh, pretty highly tech stuff, but they they don't look after their people. They don't. There's no equality of outcome there at all, unless you're part of the elite. And this is where, um, I, in fact, I came across a piece of a, a bit of scribbling of mine just recently. Uh, uh, I actually googled Plato's conceit, which is all about um, Plato thought. We can't have farmers and ordinary people in positions of authority, people that might know something about the subject. No, 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 no. We must have people like uh, intellectuals running the country. And Plato's, this, this was Plato's conceit, and he is demonstrably wrong about that. But he was the, he was the, the, the lecturer of Aristotle and Socrates and these kinds of people. Um, and, and his conceit uh, was that ordinary people, we the people, should have no say in these matters. Um, and, and, and this is where I fear that we are heading with, a, with a, again, going back to our loss of property rights, 
Uh, we're being disenfranchised uh, at government level. We're being disenfranchised at local government level. Uh, people are being appointed who happen to be of Maori descent, but people are being appointed to council uh, because they have these um, these higher um, aesthetic uh, under this understanding of of the environment than ordinary old farmers like you and I. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's uh, the, the lessons of history are not being learned. Now, now, we don't see the divide and rule as it's been happening. I commented on a Ministry for Environment's Facebook post the other day. They had put up this post saying they are inviting Waikato Waipa and, Fanui, and Vanganui River EV to apply for their River EV internship program. And the blurb there went on to say, we currently have River EV internship opportunities in Maori Climate Action Team and the Freshwater Rights and Interest Team to deliver mahi to identify the rights that EV hapu and Maori have in freshwater. So I just wrote a comment. I said, uh, how does the ministry define Maori climate action and how is it different from ethically neutral climate action, please? And again, managing freshwater via an ethnicity lens. I would love an explanation. So the ministry, to their credit, have replied to my Facebook post. Kia ora, Jaspreet. Thanks for reaching out. All reports we have identified that climate change disproportionately affects Maori in unique and serious ways. The government is working in partnership with Tangata Fenua to enable Maori-led climate action that will Maori climate resilient through a uniquely Maori climate response. The ministry are committed to reflecting the Crown Maori relationship under the Treaty Environmental Policy. You can learn more there. Maturanga Maori and, and the Ministry Namahi. <laughs> what uh, was that? What what was that? Seriously, we are a country of five million. I often tell Don that population is less than the population of New Delhi. We have so many do-gooding organizations in the country. I mean, even if I look at the size of parliament, and this is not to say the Indian parliament is very well managed, but we have about 400 parliamentarians there representing 1.6 billion people. We have 120 representing 5 million here. On top of it, we have regional governments, and then we have all these arrangements. Yeah. We have tied ourselves in red tape like no place I have ever seen. And people, we've reached the stage in this country where I can say things sober that my mates, white or whatever color they are, can't say two drinks down because we have made people feel ashamed, embarrassed, terrified of being uh, calling a spade a spade might just be racist. Well, you know, what happens today uh, when people, and I'd have to say within Maritim, when people get used to preferential treatment, when they get used to preferential treatment, equal treatment starts to seem like discrimination to them. And that is an absolute reality. I have just on the water one again, uh, Jasper. Uh, you'll recall perhaps some years back, uh, maybe three or four years ago, um, the Green Party was saying we must now start charging for water. And this oh. was around about the same time that Naitahu lodged a claim in the High Court for ownership of water. Now, they can't control it, but most commercial users have meters on their um, water uh, intakes these days, including uh, domestic water. So um, a farmer cannot take water unless it's metered. 
Now, um, how long is it going to be before that 10 cents a cubic meter that was promoted by the Greens, how long is it going to be before that becomes a uh, just another cost being lumbered on the people that use water for stock, for irrigation, to grow wheat, barley, oats, you know, whatever? Um, it, that, that is my uh, just, I, I guess some people might say you're scaremongering. Uh, no, I think one of the tricks you've got to have if you're in this political world is to try and sort of think ahead of, you know, what is likely to occur, um, just whether it's demand for roading or demand for water, it doesn't matter. You've got to, that's the planner's job is for that. And um, I, I looked at that 10 cents a cubic metre and I thought, this will go straight to Maritim. And yeah, it won't. I, I, I wouldn't have a problem to some extent if I could see good outcomes for Maoris. But that's not happening. The only good mm. outcomes seem to be for Evie, the average Maori, as many of my mates who at one time thought I'm being racist are now realizing is no better off. How can you start talking about the fact they don't have housing and you don't have this and you have Evie sitting on billions of dollars of untaxed assets? There is something really wrong here. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, I, I do recall um, the redoubtable Winston Peters. Am I allowed to use his name on your radio? Oh, oh. <laughs> you go for it. Yes. Winston Peters uh, made a comment many years ago that I think is is great truism. He said the average Maori will not get a snapper. Mm. They will not get a snapper out of some deal that was being made, it was probably the Sea Lords deal or whatever. Uh, and uh, I, I thought, yeah, that is likely to be the case. Um, and I agree with you, Desperate. That, that if we could lift uh, people out of poverty and uh, uh, they, they would uh, have a better lifestyle and um, you know learn, learn a few facets about raising children and so on in, in a better way, and uh, providing them with, with good nourishing food, I, I'm all for that. But you've got to show me the evidence first that mm. this is going to work. Well, well, who wouldn't be for all that? But what I've noted in um, not just the last three years, probably the last 10 years, actually, uh, or even longer, but however long I've been interested in this stuff, there seems to be an anger developing uh, through all fa facets of society, as especially, um, you could argue, uh, young young Maori and young um young Europeans, it doesn't make any difference. There's an anger developing. You you only have to go to a shopping mall and listen to the discussions that some of them are having. You know, just keep your ears open. And it's it's an angry discussion. Uh, why is that? Why have we... It's, it's the division that's being created by the haves versus the have-nots, apparently. I mean, I've never thought of things like that. Um, but clearly... Um, uh, there's been a, a divide purposely put into a, a, a society. I would say, though, just countering my own argument there for a moment, in the last three years, the wealthier have got wealthy, sorry, the wealthy have got wealthier um, through through cronyism. And so the rich get richer and the poor get poorer um, is a, is a, is a line that would work for the select few in the top tier of town in New Zealand. Uh, but certainly those of us in the middle of New Zealand, we're being squeezed. And I know Christopher Luxon's talking about the middle, uh, the, the, the middle that's squeezed. 
uh, the squeezed middle, sorry. Um, but, you know, this anger that I'm, I'm witnessing with the young, it's purposefully done. It's purposely done, in my opinion. Create division. Helps, helps a lot, doesn't it? Create the victimhood. Well, yes, it does. Yeah, I, I agree. In that. Yeah, I, I agree. The, and and uh, like a lot of people, I hope so, other people anyway, you've got to think of what is the cause of this? Why, uh, why are these, th- these things happening? And um, I guess um, you go to the bank for a loan to build a factory to make widgets, uh, and uh, you wanted to borrow, you know, $200,000. Um, the bank would look at you with with very um, uh, toxic sort of glancing. But if you go in there and you say, I want to borrow 200 million, oh, we're very welcome. Please come in. You know, now here's, here's a very interesting, I think it was a very interesting thing. I saw an interview many years ago now by with a, um, a chap who was a professor of banking at either Cambridge or Oxford University. And uh, he asked the interviewer, he said, now, do you understand what the problem with our banking system is in New Zealand and why local industry can't get the sort of money they need to borrow to, to, to grow their, grow their business? And he made the point that in the UK, there are seven major banks, just seven, mm. uh, from Lloyd's to the Bank of England to the Scottish Bank and um, whoever they are. Now he said to the interviewer, how many banks are there in Germany? because they're one of the most successful industrial nations. And the chap said, well, I really don't know. And he said, well, the run figure is 37. Now, therein lies the difference, that if you wanted to develop and grow something in Alexandra or in um, Queenstown or whatever, you went to the local bank, and the local bank had access to money wherever it was. They made the decisions because they know who you are. And uh, they would often as not forward that money to you so you can grow your business locally. And uh, it, it, it just becomes a, an opportunity for local people um, to get uh, good outcomes uh, for their local communities. They're employing people, they can pay more, all of this uh, sort of aspect of things. But um, I think the banking system has got a lot to answer for in terms of um, encouraging people to to grow and build local businesses, um, and uh, I, 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 it concerned me a lot because we've only what, what have we got in New Zealand? About four four major banks, uh, three or four banks, and um, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, well, Jerry, Jerry there's we few, um... there's a few reasons for what what's happening. Well, yeah, on the show, we talk about uh, ESGs and DEI and DEIB and um, corporate um, indexing. And, of course, uh, we know there's big fund managers uh, manipulating our companies. And I've got a view, and you may uh, want to talk about uh, your understanding of the desire for competition. I think the biggest issue facing us in this middle squeeze is the lack of competition that big corporates had and and crony capitalism is is taking out of play. Now, what's your understanding? What does competition bring to us? I mean, what is it's a big question because the West is big on competition. It used to be uh, the, the, the slow destruction of that seems to be 
a problem to me anyway. Well, look, the competition really doesn't exist in New Zealand. And if you ask why the cost of living is so high, uh, the supermarkets, I, I don't say they actually collude, but it's pretty damn close to it. Um, and we've only got two of them. Uh, the oil companies, the cost of their uh, fuel uh, is pretty much the same, might take a cent here or a few cents there. But um, the building industry, uh, Fletcher Challenge, Fletcher Building many years ago tried to buy up, as I understand it, all the sawmills in this country so they could dominate the price of, um, control the price of timber. Uh, I don't know that they finally got that through. But, um, you know, the cost of building today, we're in a 10 year old house, we built it, and uh, I think it was around about $1,500 a square meter. To build ten years ago, mm. I'm told it's closer to five thousand today. Yep, and and a lot of that, you know, the, the, the material that we use in this house is a lot of timber, um, and I, I just think today the the competitiveness within the uh, industry, uh, the building supply firms, is not what it should be, and I don't believe the Commerce Commission is doing its job effectively in challenging uh, the, these companies, these supplying companies. Uh, you know, I think it's very, very sad that uh, the cost of, of land and the cost of a house is now beyond the average person in this country. It should never be allowed to happen, but it is. And then so, you have the government swooping as a saviour, you know, low-cost homes and healthy homes, and let's add costs to landlords, the ones who are in the business of providing accommodation far cheaper than the motel accommodation you are, you know, condemning young children to grow up in. No, let's uh, take away the interest rate deduction and then wonder why in the blazers <laughs> have rents gone yeah. up? No, then yeah. let us put rent controls as the Greens are now lobbying. Who was it that said, uh, I know of no better way to destroy a city, bar bombing, other than uh, rent control? Yeah. And yeah. we've seen that all over the world, Jasper, too. Mm -hmm. uh, that that uh, these sort of controls, um, you know, I, I freely, I, I've, I've got a, a little interest in uh, in property other than our own home. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, I, I rent a house out in Cromwell, just 20 minutes up the road. Yep. To a lovely couple they're, they're from Fiji, and mm. boy, do they work hard. Mm. They're, they're good people, top people, uh, and I reward that. They're, they're getting the house for a significantly less than uh, the market rent uh, because I want to keep good people. Um, mm. But if this government gets back in, the first thing I will do is sell the house. Yep. And, and they mm. won't have anywhere to rent. Uh, well, they have to go and find somewhere, and it's going to cost them probably... Uh, another hundred and fifty dollars a week, and that is what bad policy does to people who actually like me. Perhaps uh, you know um, I can I can withstand some some pressures, but when government whack you for doing sensible things, you say, "Well, why bother?" But why it's bother? not like they didn't know, Don. They were told, they were advised, Treasury advised government, this would be the fallout. And that mm. brings me back to what I said. It's time yeah. to stop looking for a reason and treason. This is mm. exactly what was intended all along. Yeah, 100%. I, I remember that we started this talking about competition. I remember saying 
uh, at a meeting in Gore when actually when I stood for ACT in 2014, that every nail was burdened with bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so you've got that side of it, plus you've got the supply side. Uh, no wonder housing is so damned expensive because the quality of housing may have marginally improved in that time. <clears throat> but what is the significant cost? It is around land as well. There's a whole lot of perm things that are wrong um, that free enterprise are left alone could have sorted. But the meddlers of the parliament have decided that they know better. And of course, uh, the prime minister, former prime minister, was so kind and so everything was so <laughs> uh, so important to have this just transition. Well, it has been so unjust. Uh, if people can't see that now and they vote for that again, you're right, Jerry. Uh, this place is um, sort of in terminal mode. Well, you know, we, we've got uh, ten acres of wilding pines and rabbits uh, where we are in Alexandra, just out of Alexandra. But the council, uh, I'm I'm zone rural, therefore I cannot subdivide. And yet, you know, I could put two or three sections on this place uh, uh, at a reasonable price, and uh, if if I was allowed to, but I'm not. No, so I can't no. even do it. If even if I want to, because councils control your ability to subdivide, and oh. that should that should go straight away. Good, good point, Jerry. But you know, if you pay enough people, enough planners, and enough consultants, and go through enough notified hearings, and and you've got the right contacts, you could you could swing this, but it will cost you everything that oh. you would likely make. Yeah, and uh, yeah. many of us face that same issue. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. I mean, you would have noticed this sort of stuff around the council table that you've probably got. I imagine you had to keep your, you know, to try and keep sane, you probably couldn't fight every battle around an ORC table. But uh, what 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 sort of stuff did you face? What was the worst excesses of um, powers that did you see around uh, the ORC, Otago Regional Council table? Well, I guess it, you know, around water again, because uh, apparently people in urban Dunedin, urban uh, councillors know far more about water in the country than, than people who live there. Uh, and as an example, uh, we had uh, a big uh, issue around the Lindus River, very similar to what's happening on, on our river. Um, it took 10 years, guys, 10 years for that Lindus River uh, issue, the, residual, the the minimum flow to be resolved, because uh, well, the then chairman, who was a farmer from way down south, uh, from uh, down south somewhere, south of Targo, pretty much, didn't understand the issues, didn't understand the people, uh, and uh, they had another fellow um, uh, deputy, I think he was at the time, he didn't understand uh, the issues either, really. And uh, it took 10 years, something over a million dollars for the local, a small local community. Uh, it cost them that much to get professional advice. God knows how much it cost the regional council, probably two or three or four times that amount. And in 10 years, it was finally resolved pretty much in court. So, um, you know, that was, I think, one of the worst aspects um, of, um, you know, I can recall one councillor saying when they, uh, they put the rate 
up for a flood protection on the Tyree, and this particular council said, no, it's not a problem. They're, they're getting a really good price for their milk at the moment, so let's put the price up. <laughs> you know, they, they, I, I, just, I just have to come home and lie down on the couch with a, with a stiff whiskey. I really do. And isn't it, isn't it interesting how... There was just, you know, people wouldn't, they wouldn't listen because it, it was, I, I, you know, for me, I, I would dump regional councils off the face of the earth tomorrow if I could, mm. but I can't. But, it wasn't uh, it in 2021 that they were proposing Otago Regional Council a 73% rate rise? 73. Three. 73% rate rise was proposed. It hit the media and I've just looked, yep, 73% general rate rise and a 47% Overall rate rise was what Otago Regional Council was proposing in yeah, 2021. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what they settled at. I won't, uh, you know, <laughs> bother to venture. But the fact yeah. that they can even think that. Well, one of my favorite topics uh, in, in back then too, and indeed today, is that the Otago Regional Council own uh, Port Otago on our behalf, behalf of the rate payers. Port Otago, in turn, own a, a company called Chalmers Properties, which has something in the order of $650 million worth of property on their books. Uh, and I said, well, why, in order to uh, shelter the uh, ratepayer a bit from these massive rate increases, 18 20% rate increases, why don't we get Chalmers Properties or ask the uh, directors of Port Otago to sell, to sell the, uh, you know, at least some of the assets, uh, sell a bit of capital, get rid of it, free up a bit of capital so that we can uh, do our environmental work, water testing and all that sort of thing. Why we, we can do that with the with the funds instead of whacking the poor old ratepayer constantly. Well, that was absolute heresy. You know, um, uh, uh, Gretchen Robinson said, well, if, if we sold off our asset, we wouldn't have any asset in the future. Or was that a fact? <laughs> Oh my God! Um, you know, you, 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 there, there was very little economic understanding around that council. Uh, I think, I think some of the uh, the, the staff did, but um, uh, you know, uh, most. Just to finish on that particular one, um, most uh, re, uh, most ports are now owned: Port, port of Tauranga, Ports of Auckland, uh, Bluff, uh, Timaru, and Canterbury. There's private ownership uh, involved, or in a percentage basis, or whatever. Right. And uh, but not in Dunedin, not in the People's Republic of um, Dunedin. Uh, it's a bit like North Korea down there, I think sometimes. Oh. But it, it, it's ridiculous that we've got these massive assets, underperforming assets, uh, like like Port Otago and and Chambers Properties, and uh, we're not introducing the level of expertise. And indeed, uh, uh, the uh, the requirements, I guess, that that, that marketplace um, drives good, efficient um, decision making, mm. and it's just not happening down our well. Way. Well, you know, and that seventy three percent when inflation was running at sort of two to three percent in those years uh, seems yeah. obscene. It was thirty percent in my region, and I remember going to a um, challenge the councillors and. Uh, they said, oh, this is just, um, we can't stop the devolution of responsibility coming from Wellington. Well, yes, you can. Yes, you you can. just say, no, we're not doing it. And the worst thing of all of this, Jerry, is aside from them not using their asset base and, and you know, 
offsetting things with that is that the people that are in behind the desks at these council meet councils and in Wellington are all harvesting from the environment. That's the key. And they totally refuse to acknowledge that they are putting the most pressure on the New Zealand environment, whether it's a farm business or any other business. They are the biggest abuser of power and biggest user of the environment. Now, we hope to get on a guy from Western, uh, from Australia who's talking about how the growth of regulations over there has outstripped the productivity that farmers could gain by a factor of about five to one uh, in the last 10 years, three, four to five to one. Um, we've got to have that shown in New Zealand. It's all right to have groundswell out there saying, say no, but we need to put the numbers up why it's out of kilter. And it is seriously out of kilter in this country. We don't mind paying our way. We don't mind um, bringing, the, you know, the we don't mind um, the hand up mentality that we need, you know, ethos that you need to have for people that need a hand up. But this self-aggrandizement by the uh, by the bureaucrats, uh, by the um, people in suits, is all overbearing for me and by the sound of it it is for you and i've read reading your your blogs on breaking views and we need to get you back to talk about some of these because we've just done a once over lightly with jerry ekoff today <laughs> yeah. um um you know i think we agree on more than we disagree on uh jerry uh we are going to have to wrap this because we've had our hour but um and i'm ending it with a massive statement um, I hope you've enjoyed your hour with uh, Jasper Eaton Don on RCR Greenwashed. And uh, will will you come back? That's the key. Has it been? Has it been? Sedu have we seduced you enough to say you enjoy it? Uh, <clears throat> Don Jasper, I, I must have a wee relief valve somewhere on my being uh, uh -huh. that sometimes gets blocked completely, and and we all <laughs> need a relief valve. Uh, to perhaps get rid of a, a few pent up emotions and and the opportunity to talk to like minded people uh, who understand stuff clearly understand the way uh, the world works has just been a tonic for me personally. Uh, I, I've so much appreciated the opportunity to come and talk with you. Uh, I guess we've we've covered a multitude of sins over this uh, uh, over this hour or so. Um, and without doing probably justice to each one of them as they, they should be done. But um, uh, I, I think your listeners out there, um, I hope I haven't bored them with some of my personal prejudices <laughs> and attitudes towards things. But, um, we, you know, I think Jasper is dead, but we've just got to, we've got to do better and, mm. um, you know, listen to people uh, who, who have... The knowledge and experience, and I'm not talking about we three. I'm talking about there's there's people all over the place with with wonderful knowledge, but they just shrug their shoulders and walk away now because it's become too difficult. Mm. So I go back to another word if I can finish on that. Uh, we we have got to have the courage to stand, and 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 I follow. I tell you what, I will finish with it. There's a little poem. Um. Her name, what was her name? Her name was uh, Clara Ruth Crane, I think, or Ella Wheeler Wilcox, American, around about 1900 when they still had sailing ships. And she said this, one ship drives to the east and another to the west by the selfsame wind that blows. So it is not the gale, 
It's the set of your sail that determines the direction we go. And we're heading to the rocks, guys. We really are. I thought was that little poem of hers is so out today. It's not the gale. It's not the wind. The direction of the wind. It's how you set your sail. And um, we, we, we desperately need a reset uh, of our sail come 14th of October, is it? <laughs> yeah, so, no, no. Um, Good uh, luck with that one, too. Thank uh, you very much for the opportunity. Uh, I'll have to get going, too. I'm meant to be joining a bunch of old fellas singing a few songs at, at a few rest homes uh, shortly. I'm not right. yet, but I'm sure I will be shortly. <laughs> all right, Jerry. Well, look, it's good you you can you've you've blown your pipes out. Uh, you you you've got you've loosened them up uh, on the show and uh, let loose when you get with your old mates down the road. So thanks for coming on RCR. Um, we're not re, re, we're not. Um, relief control radio we're reality check radio and uh, yeah. uh we're very proud of the fact that we're an independent uh, force in this country brilliant brilliant and and just just keep going guys just keep going thank you jerry thank it's you so much for the opportunity just brief Boparai and don nicholson with greenwash on rcr reality check radio